everybody, welcome back to the Missile Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pekulski. Today, we've got another amazing episode for you. But before we get into that, I want to tell you about something I've been working on for the better part of two years. And many of you know that for the last 20 years, I've been helping people all around the world transform their body, whether it be people from the highest level pro athletes to uh, just inspired people who want to take action on changing their body. And I'm dissecting processes and frameworks to try to really get to the bottom of what it takes to transform your body, what really has to go into changing the way you look, the way you feel, and ultimately the way you perform. And uh, I've come to this really, really conclusive process that I think is inclusive of all the things that go into transforming. I think it's much different than what we're told. It's much maybe less than what we're told. And I think the paradigm in fitness is broken. I think most people are going to say, hey, you need to train more, do more cardio and eat less food. And they're missing all these other factors that are ultimately the things that are preventing you from progressing. So over 95% of people fall short of their goals when they set physical transformation goals. And it's because they're missing a few key factors that I think I've identified. And I want to share with you in this brand new webinar happening on June 1st. And if you guys can join me, uh, head over to muscleintelligence.com slash masterclass. Now, space is very, very limited. So if you're interested and you're interested in transforming your body, this is going to be a webinar for you. You're going to absolutely love the content. You're going to leave with so much value and a bunch of really cool bonuses. I would love to have you there. And this is only for people who are very, very interested and committed to transforming their body now. Because as I said, the space is very limited and I want to give you my framework to help you make better decisions and ultimately guide you through this process in much less time than you think is possible. So if you're interested, head over to muscleintelligence.com slash masterclass, register right now, and don't forget to show up. And we will notify you uh, leading into the webinar just so we make sure you're there. And today's podcast is with Doreen Yates, one of my greatest role models and mentors from the time that I was 15 years old. Uh, I absolutely loved Dorian first as his warrior mentality uh, as a bodybuilder, and then how he's taken that warrior mentality and transitioned into a spiritual life uh, now well beyond body when we talk about everything from his mindset during his competitive years to how he was transitioned out of bodybuilding, not by his own choice, uh, and now he's transitioned into spirituality and even getting into some plant medicine conversations. It was an amazing conversation with Dorian Yates. Dorian, thank you for being a guest. Today's podcast is brought to you by Bubs Naturals. You guys know I've been the greatest advocate of Bubs Naturals, MCT, and collagen, and now their Fountain of Youth product. Um, it's such high-quality stuff, guys. If you're not already using MCT, the reason you would want to use MCT is as maybe as a replacement for your uh, coffee, your cream or your almond milk or your oat milk or whatever it may be in your coffee. It's so delicious and so creamy and is actually significantly better as far as health for your microbiome and your brain, immediate brain energy is why I use my, my MCT from Bubs as well as collagen, which I use in my coffee and in my pre-workout every day, just to make sure that my body has what it needs to repair my hair, skin, and nails. And I love uh, the highest quality product from Bubs. So thanks to Bubs for being a sponsor of today's show. You can head over to bubsnaturals.com and use the code BEN for 20% off B-E-N. But thank you guys for being a sponsor and thank you for being here and listening to this podcast. Don't forget to head over to muscleintelligence.com slash masterclass if you want to understand the transformation process and all the mistakes you're making. Enjoy the show with Dorian Yates. We are live with the GOAT, Mr. Dorian Yates. Welcome back, my friend. All right, Ben. How you doing, man? Dude, so good, man. And like I say, Looking the GOAT. Good and tranquil. 
Yeah, thanks, man. I, I feel great. I've definitely shifted like yourself, man. You're, you're a big inspiration for me from afar as, you know, we don't have similar paths with, you know, the, the yoga on a consistent basis, the exploration of some psychedelic substances and ultimately just trying to expand consciousness and live long, healthy and strong, right? Yeah, just uh, trying to be a better version of yourself. I mean, that's what bodybuilding was about yeah. really for me. It's like uh, it was a challenge trying to improve myself and uh, trying to change the trajectory of my life. So um, what does a better, better version of yourself look like now? So obviously you, you reached the pinnacle physically. So yeah. I'm guessing what a better version of yourself looks like now may transcend, transcend into, into the mindset. Yeah, I mean, the, the bodybuilding was really – it was physical. But there was always, obviously, a mental aspect to that because that's the, the glue that kind of holds everything together. And maybe a spiritual aspect that I was not really so consciously tuned into, but a little bit aware of it. I mean, because when you're in the gym and you're giving all your focus to this thing that you're doing and, you know, lifting and stretching and contracting – you almost leave everything behind. And maybe that's one of the reasons that people do go to the gym because they forget about whatever is on their mind and business and financial and family and, and all this. And you get that time where you're, you're kind of, um, I mean, that's what meditation is, like really focusing on one thing. So I was getting that aspect as well. So I already had something there. And then... Uh, I was introduced to psychedelics and um, I saw that there's much more to reality, um, you know, than what we perceive with our senses and the physicality of the world. There's much more outside of that. So that was fascinating. And that, you know, some people start with meditation and yoga and maybe later they progress to psychedelics. But I kind of, for whatever reason, I started with the psychedelics and then everything kind of came after that i became curious about uh um meditation and then different kind of physical exercise which was yoga but it was yoga was physical and spiritual all at the same time so um i think that's what yoga stands for it's a union right yeah and like the, the mental spiritual and physical together and um I, I really enjoyed that so kind of um trying to be a, a better version and being connected to that oneness that I saw with the psychedelics, I guess. Yeah. What are some of the themes? More, kind of become more empathetic for people to, to other people. Cause ultimately we're all the same, the same thing, having different experiences, if that makes well, sense. Yeah, it totally does. Man. That, that, that's what I saw in my ayahuasca journey was, you know, I'm part of it. You're part of it. We're all one. I, I could say I could never look at a person an animal, a tree, a plant ever again the same way. It just, you just realize it's you. It's just all, we're all coming from the same thing. We're going back yeah. to the same thing. Yeah. So, um, and uh, it's ongoing, you know. Um, uh, some people were saying to me, oh, now you should uh, write a book about this or you should teach people. But I just feel like I'm really still a basic student, you know, <laughs> very basic. I might be one of the greatest bodybuilders in history but uh i'm i'm uh i'm still very much a student of this and sometimes i, I lose it you know sometimes i lose that connection and uh, and 
have to work on it to to get it back again. I mean, this period with the whole lockdown and everything was pretty stressful, and sometimes I lost that piece and uh, had to work to get it back, and I'm still working on it a little bit. Yeah, I chuckle there because I think you and I are both in the same boat. I think we both achieved relative success in, in, in bodybuilding, and then now it's almost like this um, uh, level of, well, I'm not there yet, right? I haven't reached the same level of success there. However, there's millions of people out there, or maybe hundreds of thousands of people out there writing books who know less than you do, right, on, on these topics, and, and you could provide yeah. massive amounts of value, even more so than most people do. I think it's just, that, that's just your, your, your belief system, right? And I'm, I'm the same way. <laughs> Yeah, and I, you know, I try to be humble with this. When when you think you know too much, then you know nothing really, and there's there's always more and more to learn. And um, I mean, my daily practices are: I do some breathing work. Sometimes I do some meditation, uh, some yoga movement. Um, but as far as the the psychedelics, I haven't done any for a long time, and uh, I'll be in August going to um, Costa Rica and Saltara, the um, facility there. And uh, I'm headlining a camp there, so I'm looking forward to that. It's kind of getting a little um, upgrade, maybe. It's been, it's been yeah. a long time, so I think it's, it's due. So what are some of the themes and lessons that keep coming up for you in life? Is there, is there like a repetitive theme that keeps coming up, like I need to learn this lesson? Um, lesson I have to keep learning probably still um filtering through like what makes you behave the way you do and everything a lot of it's from from childhood and from trauma and stuff like that so i've been filtering through that um that came up a lot during my my last camp and uh we were chatting earlier on before we, we went live about one experience i had where i really was I felt so weak I, I couldn't move and all my physical strength was taken away. So it's kind of like the protective armor that I'd built up with all this physical strength and all that kind of uh, masculine energy and macho stuff from bodybuilding was taken away and I had to look at who I am without that. Um, and that went back to my childhood, which which most stuff does. Um, I'm not, uh, never really had like um, therapy, like psychotherapy or a psychiatrist or something like that. Um, but I feel I get that from the ayahuasca. That's my, that's the way I do it. Anyway, some other people might go every week or whatever they do. Uh, if I do ayahuasca once a year or something like that, I think I get a lot done in that whole week. Um, so looking forward to see what comes up next time. Absolutely. You mentioned you, you never had... know, man. It's totally different every time. So, it's not something that you can really control. You can have some intentions maybe or something you want to work on, but um, it's kind of the plants in control. Yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned you had an injury as a child? Uh, no, I didn't have an injury. I mean, trauma like is in psychological uh, stuff like that. I, I lost my father when I was 13, and that's uh, always been probably a big issue, but maybe one I was not so aware of as – as I am now going through the, this process and, uh, yeah. you know, it, it had a positives and, and, and negatives on my uh, behavior, I believe. Yeah. What, what drove you into bodybuilding? Um, <clears throat> well, my initial introduction to bodybuilding was uh, I was doing karate. I was a huge Bruce Lee fan and 
I couldn't find any kung fu uh, places where I was. So I was doing karate and we were doing freehand stuff like, you know, push-ups and squats. And so I actually found that more the physically challenging stuff more than the technique was uh, was more appealing to me. And I started doing some weights as well. They had some weights in the place. And it's something hard to describe. It's like it just felt right. And I love the challenge of like seeing how much I could lift and push myself and everything. And um, I started buying bodybuilding magazines. Then when I left home at 16, I left home at 16, I left school and I was like, my life was upside down. I didn't really have place to stay. I was staying at friends' places and it took me a long time to get stability. And uh, when I was, I think I was 19, I got arrested for some minor offense and I did a couple of months in a detention center in UK, which is like a youth facility. And they try to teach you discipline in there and give you some trade or something like that. Um, and one of the things we did was going to the gym and doing physical exercise and uh, uh, powerlifting a couple of times a week. It wasn't really bodybuilding, but they had weights there and they could do squat and bench and deadlift and play around with the dumbbells. And uh, I probably had the best physique in there out of like 300 guys. And I love doing this. And um, I got a lot of positive reinforcement from the PT officer and the other officers. Even the inmates treated me differently. Um, so I'm like, here's something that I enjoy doing. I can be good at. And I just think it's something positive and it can change my life. How? I didn't really know how it would change my life. But that's what it was about for me. It was something that um, could change the trajectory of my life. And um, I wasn't thinking about being a Mr. Olympia or anything like that, but um, maybe I could do competitions. Maybe I could get a job in a gym. Maybe I could get my own gym. That was like what I was thinking at first. So yeah. that's where it all started. And I mean, it snowballed really quickly because I did a competition after about a year and a half's training. And it was a novice competition. And uh, the guys that were running the federation, um, they 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 all came to see me when I was in the middle of this competition. I was backstage, and they're like, "Who are you? Where you're from? Um, why are you in another competition?" Uh, in case you don't realize, you're probably like the best heavyweight we've got in the country right now. And I I didn't have any idea. I thought I was good for a novice competition, I had a good chance of winning it, but that's, now I see the pictures, I see what they saw. Um, so from that point on, um, it changed. Then I could, then I see I can really do something with this. I did open a gym. I became British champion fairly quickly and uh, turned pro and that's a story. So it was a way for me to do something I loved, change my life, and be in control of my destiny, not be, um, you know, working for somebody else or somebody else kind of controlling uh, the way my life was going. Was there something you always felt relatively confident in when you started bodybuilding or was there times early on where you remember some struggles maybe before your first shows? Uh, I was confident, fairly confident, but I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know how good I was. If I look back at that first contest, 
I mean, I could see what other people saw, but I, I didn't know I was that good, and I had a picture in my mind. I'd been to a few. I've been, I think I've been to British Championships and the Mr. Universe, which is held in London. So I saw the guys, and for me, they were like way ahead of me. But they they weren't really. They were better than me, but they weren't way ahead of me. So um, the confidence grew from that point, slowly, slowly on until I I thought you know I could be a pro. And then maybe I could be a Mr. Olympia. So it was like it was progressing. Um, and of course, uh, I mean, at first I had no family backing, uh, no money. Um, but I remember it, it kind of didn't really bother me. My friends had cars. I didn't have a car because I couldn't afford it. I was just catching the bus all the time and going to the gym and spending all my money on protein and gym memberships and all this stuff. Um, but it felt right and it felt like it was almost like it almost felt like I'd done it before mm. and you know I, I, I was I, deep down I knew what was happening and what was going to happen deep down but sometimes on the surface I would doubt it but um, after that first experience and of course I got I got um some good people encouraging me, which really helped. Uh, had a guy who I met at that first contest. His name was Ron Davis, and he was the head of the British Federation. And he was a judge at the Mr. Olympia as well. So the guy knew the sport. He knew what he was talking about. And he took me aside and he's like, look, you know, you've got what it takes. Trust me, I know I know everybody. And even there's some guys in the Olympia that I think you're better than them now. And I, I was like, nah, come on, man, no. He's like, yeah, look, you, you know, you could beat this guy, this guy, and you know, in a few years, you know, you'll be you'll be right up there. So somebody that took an interest in me and uh, uh, had experience that that was helpful. Sometimes when things come easy to people, which it sounds like you know you're naturally gifted, they tend to they tend to slow down, they tend to relax. Yeah. You you had a reputation for being the hardest working guy, maybe in the history of the sport, and and where do you think that came from, right? If it, if it wasn't um, the necessity, like it wasn't pain, what was that driving force? Well, it kind of was a necessity because I didn't feel like I had any other options. So I had that hunger and I was very careful to keep, try to, to keep that. Even when I was Mr. Olympia and I had a good income and I had a nice house and a car and all this stuff. Um, and several times I thought about moving to the States because that's where bodybuilding was at, much more so than it is now probably. Everybody's, you know, more international now. And even in the States, people are spread all over the place. Then it was USA-based and mainly in, in, you know, LA, California. So I thought about it going out there. That's where the industry was. But I'm like, no, better to stay here because keep your feet on the ground. Remember who you are and uh, don't get distracted. There's going to be so many people pulling on your time if you go out there, left, right, and center. Yeah. I had a contract with Weida. You know, Weida's offices are out there, so... Uh, I thought if I hide away in England, they can't like call me up and ask me to go here tonight or go there. And I love to train. And it was the training and the discipline of the training and even the meals and everything, weighing my food. Everything was very precise. And I didn't want to upset that cart. And I saw it happen a few times. Guys that were really great amateurs, they turned pro and then got everyone pulling at their time and also everybody giving them advice and opinions. And uh, 
I remember being second to Lee Haney and then going to speak to people for advice because I thought, I don't really know what I'm doing. I just did my own thing. and But I did know what I was doing. It was working for me. Yeah. And uh, sometimes you can get too much advice and too many people pulling in the strings. So I decided to stay in England for my whole career and train in my own gym and around my family and around friends and stuff like that. Uh, that, you know, would keep me grounded. One of the hardest, hardest things for people to do that you've gone through and, and I'm going through now is, is creating a new identity. So as a bodybuilder, you, you have this identity and now you've shifted into creating this new version of yourself. Can you just walk through like some of the struggles and we talked about it a little in the past. I'd love to hear what you went through and maybe how you overcame it. Well, um, was a big struggle for me when I retired because uh, everything I did was very calculated. You know, every contest, apart from I did my novice competition and because the, the Federation were very impressed with me, they wanted me to compete on the British team as a heavyweight in the World Games, which was being held, I think it was two weeks later. Um, and they persuaded me to do that. And it was two weeks later and I wasn't really ready for that level of competition. I did okay. I got seventh place out of 13 guys. Uh, winner was Barry DeMay. Went on to be, you know, top place in Olympia. Second place was Matt Mendenhall, who was a phenomenal amateur and never really reached his potential, probably. Um, so I got seventh place in this pack, which, was, you know, was great really for the time, but I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready to challenge. So I said, you know, after this, right, I'm not going to enter a contest until I'm really ready. Everything's perfect. And I feel I've got a chance to win. Of course, that's never guaranteed. Um, so I controlled that. Uh, again, living away from the States was stopping people from like trying to have some control over me and direct me where they wanted me to be and who they wanted me to be. Uh, and when I retired, it was due to an injury. I tore the tricep tendon. Three weeks before Mr. Olympia, I mean, really, it's a miracle that I was able to go and compete. I couldn't even train the last three weeks. Um, and then after that, I had the surgery, repaired it, but it wasn't the same. And mechanically, it was much weaker. Aesthetically, it didn't look the same. So I was kind of forced to retire. I hadn't planned it. I hadn't, you know, planned all the, the exit, which I would have liked to have done. So... I went from being, you know, on top of the world, Mr. Olympia, coming back to England and kind of was, because of my choice to stay in England, cut off from the rest of the bodybuilding world. And there wasn't the internet then, there wasn't the social media and all that stuff that keeps you connected. Um, so I was like really kind of lost, like, who am I now? What am I doing with my life? I hadn't really planned my exit. I was starting to think about that, hey, uh, before I had the injury, I was starting to think, wow, this is turning into a bit of a job now. I'm kind of losing that passion and how much, you know, how, can I get better? And that was the thing that drove me, at least striving to get better. Um, so I was starting to think about my exit, but I hadn't planned it. So it was from one day to the next, it was finished. And because of how I am, I didn't even want to do guest appearance or guest posing because I didn't want to go up there and without able being able to train properly, this injury really restricted my training. 
I'm sure I could have done it and still I would look good and, you know, could have would have exited out slowly, but I didn't. It was one day till next. And um, then a lot of things happened because I was in a different mindset and maybe like in my marriage, my personal life, I had some problems that I was not addressing and was ignoring because I didn't feel like, you know, I was just in a tunnel, tunnel vision. Now the tunnel's gone. So uh, I ended up uh, separating, going through a divorce. A lot of stuff was going on and um, it took me a lot of time to kind of adjust to that. And... um, to realize that, okay, you're not doing that thing anymore. You're not that guy anymore. But you also don't have to be in this tunnel that you put yourself in. And there's more to life. And you can taste and smell and experience many more things if you want to. So uh, that was the kind of change in the mindset that eventually occurred that got me out of that. But, yeah, I was very kind of down and lost for uh, probably a few years. Yeah, you seem to have done a complete 180, though. So when I left bodybuilding, I'm sure you got this, too. The thing I still get is like, hey, what happened? <laughs> like, I'm like, well, nothing yeah. happened. I chose to leave. And like, well, why are you so small now? I'm like, well, because I'm not competing in the Mr. Olympia anymore. What do I need to do? Um, so I'm curious how you were psychologically okay. And maybe what's, what pulled you down that path of like, hey, I wanna, I'm okay with walking away from this. I'm okay with all the people maybe talking. Yeah. Maybe maybe you didn't have haters like I did. Um, I'm assuming you probably did, um, but what did it, what did it look like psychologically to to just transition to this new identity? Like it was because it's a complete 180. Yeah, and uh, probably more so in the last uh, few years. Um, you know, I always told myself, and I, and I believe that I'm developing this physique, I'm developing these muscles. It's a challenge, and I have the competition as a benchmark, and I want to be as good as I can be, and that. Competing against other people is gonna uh, is gonna help with that, and um, but when I'm not doing that anymore, do I really need all that muscle mass? Mm. Is it beneficial for me? Is it healthy? Um, so I came down a fair amount in body weight, and uh, let's talk about it. I mean, professional bodybuilders use performance enhancing drugs, use steroids, growth hormone, all that stuff. And I always justified that to myself by saying this, you know, basically tools of the trade, right? You know, if you want to play in an even playing field, then you've got to do that. But when I'm not competing, I'm not going to do that anymore. And um, I don't think it bothered me too much losing the body weight. And uh, now I just think it's it's healthier. It's more practical. I don't need it. I, you know, I even make jokes about it. I'm like, you know, I'm, and it's true, really. I was happier when I could get into a Hugo Boss suit off cool. the rack. Yep. <laughs> I didn't have to, you know, go to the tailor and get it made and all this stuff. So just things like that. It's like, it's a totally different mindset. I don't need all that muscle mass anymore. I'm not competing. So why would I try to maintain it? Am I, if I did, I would be doing it because, um, I'll be doing it for somebody else. Yeah. I'll be doing it for other people. And I'll be like behaving in a way that I think um, other people want me to be. And they might even think that, but, you know, uh, obviously there's some some pressure. Well, I remember when I was Mr. Olympia and people were like, ah, oh, look at Arnold now. 
well, he's not like when he was Mr. Olympia. I'm like, why the fuck would he well, we be like that? Why does he need to be like I could never understand that. Um, you know, as a guy that is like world champion boxer when he's 30 years old, is he going to maintain that that training and that discipline and all that stuff when he's 55, 60 years old? Probably not. He probably like, might want to keep in shape, but uh, that's what it's all about for me now is about keeping in shape, being healthy, being functional, being able to like do the things I want to do. That's that's why I train now, not for the, you know, building the statue, so to speak, that I was building before. And that's almost, uh, that's how I saw it. I was almost removed from it. Yeah. It wasn't it's my body. It w- I was working on a project. It was a statue and I was building it and I want to make it the biggest and the best that I could. And, uh, you know, I feel satisfied that I give it 100%. I couldn't have given it any more. I probably pushed too much sometimes, and that's why I ended up getting injured. But I definitely didn't slack, and, you know, I'm not sitting back now saying, well, you know, if I'd have done this, I could have been better. Or, you know, maybe if I hadn't had that discipline and pushed to that extent, I wouldn't have been Mr. Olympia. So I don't have any regrets about it. I often say that bodybuilding is what I did. It wasn't who I was. And, and I get a lot of young bodybuilders who are 17, 18 years old. They introduce themselves. Hey, I'm a bodybuilder. I'm like, well, are you? Or is that just what you do? And I think when they create that identity, it's really like anchored deeply into who you are. When it gets taken away, it can be very, very challenging. So I Yeah, think we, all, we all got a picture and an image and a, um, who we are. And that, that's really the ego, right? Yeah. What is the ego? It's your own self-portrait that you, you're projecting and that you think. That's what you are. Um, but that's transient. That's always probably changing as well. Did, did you, you like that? did you like being a bodybuilder? Did you like being not I'll ask that more specifically? Did you like being massive and getting all the attention from all the people? Like the, the idea of like walking down the street and everyone thinks you're a freak? Well, I could care less about that. Actually, like I didn't like it. Um anyone who knows me well enough, all the guys from the gym, even in the gym, you would never see my physique. Even in the gym, even my training partner, I didn't see my physique until maybe six or seven weeks before the Olympia, and I'd do some posing. I would ask a few people to come down, like, hey, do you want to come down to the gym and see me? And like, like to, you know, get your opinion. Maybe a couple of guys that really know what they're talking about uh, to get some feedback. Uh, my training partner, a couple of people in England that I respected would come down and I would pose for them. And that's when I took the black and white pictures, which became iconic. I mean, they weren't meant for the magazines. They were just meant for my own kind of records. And uh, they got out there and became uh, some of the most popular pictures in bodybuilding, maybe. But that was it. It was a checkup for me before the Olympia with a few people that I respected. So I didn't bodybuild for to get... Uh, to impress people on the street or the beach or whatever. I mean, it's way beyond that. I was doing it for uh, for competitions, and I was doing it to see how far how far can I take this thing that I'm doing. I'm not. I'm not. I wasn't a career bodybuilder in that. Like, I'm just going to do enough to make my money, and this is a career. The career was was great. The money was great, but it was secondary. I'm sure I could have made more money if I'd have been more accessible and wanted to travel more and do more things. and But I didn't because it would interfere with my training. And the training was the thing that got me to where I was. And it was going to, you know, I wanted to see how far I could take this before uh, before I finished. 
Do you think the immediacy of social media changes that in people, like the immediate uh, reward, like oh, I need instant gratification, yeah. I want to post, changes people's perception, like I don't want to do the long-term work? I think so. I mean, that's the way social media is constructed, right? The people that made social media, they studied like human behavior and psychology and the little dopamine rush you get if somebody makes a nice comment and all this stuff. So it's a totally uh, different game. And uh, also people are making money on social media. So maybe it's a necessary evil now. I don't know if you could be another Dorian Yates, the shadow, who just disappears and nobody sees him and then he comes at a competition. I don't know if that's possible to do anymore because you almost need to have a social media <clears throat> for, you know, for business purposes. So it, it's changed the whole scene and now maybe it's good. You know, nothing is all good or all bad. And, you know, that's the way I look at it. Everything is all shades of gray, right? You have good stuff, you have bad stuff. People are making a living now. They don't need to compete. Maybe that's a good thing. Before we only had one route to success and that yep. was win competitions get in the magazines is the only avenue you have to publicize yourself and they're not going to put you in the magazines unless you're winning some kind of top level competition now you have many routes to um make a living or be successful in the now it's a fitness industry right then it was right. bodybuilding now it's right. a fitness industry there's so many different uh genres in the in the industry so to speak so it's different, man. I don't like to say, I don't want to be one of these old guys that, oh, it was better in my day. But personally, I preferred it like that because I was that person that didn't like publicity. It might yeah. seem strange for a bodybuilder because you get on stage in your underwear in front of all these people. But for me, that only happened like once a year at a competition and maybe a dozen times a year doing guest appearances and stuff like that. Yeah. So both Flex Wheeler and Chris Cormier on my show said, um, you were the only person they'd ever met who had uh, a presence that they could feel without seeing you. They could feel when you walked into the room. Did you, did you know that? Have you heard them say that? And, and yeah. Did yeah, it feel Chris like Coleman, that to you? Chris Coleman is a good friend of mine. I'm friends with Trex as well, but Chris is closer because he's been to England. He's come and stayed and lived at my house for a little bit. We trained mm -hmm. together and and all that stuff. So Chris told me, he said, I, I, man, I could feel a force field off you. And this is before I got into spiritual work and really understood maybe on a different level. Now I know what was going on. I mean, I was so focused all the time, 24 hours a day. I was just thinking positive, putting all my energy into the training and visualizing and uh, manifesting all the time, all the time. And I built up such a level of power of confidence by the time I got to the competition. I'm sure it was generating off me. And I went with this kind of, <clears throat> uh, this security, this power, because I knew what I put into this and I knew nobody else was doing this. So you feel like you're on a bit of a different level. And um, I, I carried that with me and projected it on stage as well. I mean, the judges can feel it, the audience can feel it. Um, a lot of people didn't like it when I first came along because I never smiled. And up to that point, everyone's always, you know, projecting that, smiling on stage and everything. But I didn't want to project that. It wasn't me. I was just projecting kind of raw power and confidence without being cocky. It was just confidence because I knew 
what I put into this and I knew what I'd achieved. So it, it gives you that level of confidence that people can, it's almost palpable that people can feel it. You completely changed bodybuilding. You kind of ushered in the era of the mass monster with all these guys who followed you. And I think, um, I mean, from the outsider's perspective, it seemed like you did it with training and they tried to emulate what you did and they pushed the drugs well beyond what it sounded like you did. Um, yeah. I'm curious if you, have, if you have any perspective on, uh, you know, ultimately the drug use and, and how it's transitioned through the years and how much you think that's impacted the, the sport in general, right? The public's perception of the sport um, and, and just drugs as a culture, you know, pe people think of bodybuilding, they think of drugs. And I think before you, there wasn't anyone, maybe it wasn't so like drug centric. And I'm not saying you were the person who, brought, who ushered in, but because of you, everyone after you was like, I have to be that much bigger. Yeah, uh, that's true. And um, I think my drug use is fairly moderate until I got to the Olympia. And, I'm, you know, I'm Olympia now. I'm going to make a living from this. So I pushed it a little bit more. And even more the last couple of years where I was using insulin. Um, but I didn't get any better the last couple of years. I don't think so. I got a bit bigger in the off-season. Um, and I believe in 1997, when off season, I was at my biggest, probably over 300 pounds. Uh, I started to lose some little bit of quality uh, of the physique. And that's what I see now, generally speaking. Of course, not maybe not in all cases, but now the guys are bigger, they're rounder, they're fuller, so to speak. But they lost the kind of small details and serrations and separations that used to be around. And maybe that's why. And now, I mean, people doing small competitions are using large amounts of drugs. Sometimes I'm shocked by people that come to see me and the, what they use, and then they're not even competing or they're doing little competitions. Um, so I, I think in a way it's kind of damaged the, the quality of the physiques. And it's curious that maybe people are taking more drugs because of my size and they perceive maybe that's what I did. But I'd like to know why they're not training like me then. So that, that's, that's exactly where I wanted to go is it's become a drug-based culture. People think, oh, if I want to be bigger, I need to take more drugs. But they yeah. didn't see the, the, you know, the eight to 10 years of training that you put in or all the years of training that went in before you were you know, as, as successful. Well, as you were. I mean, the drugs are just going to help you to recover and keep you in an anabolic state, but you got to do the work in order for that to be effective. And that's what I did. I did the high-intensity uh, uh, heavy training, although, I mean, there's this mis misconception about my training. It's just about lifting heavy weights. It's not at all. Everyone that comes to training with me in the gym, yeah, I mean, you've got to use maximum resistance, but within the boundaries of, like, keeping the form absolutely strict, getting as most as you can out of each rep, uh, controlling the weight, reducing any momentum, uh, squeezing in a contracted position, slowing down the negative, making everything uh, as stressful on the muscle as you can. And, and if you go over a certain amount of weight and you start loosening the form, then you're actually getting less stress on the muscle because you're creating momentum. You're bringing outside forces, other muscle groups into play. So it's almost like an art form. It's, it's all about technique. And yeah, if you watch my video, yes, I'm using some heavy weights. But if I was wanting to do, let me see how much weights could I lift from A to B. I could have used more weights, but it wouldn't be as effective. So it's about 
uh, technique and putting as much stress on the muscle as possible. And I think that's the biggest misconception about my training, that it's just, let's go in there and throw some heavy weights around. It's not about that at all. Yeah, I would say you're, you were 20 years ahead of everybody else because no one else, even now, trains that way, right? And I'm like, what, what are people not seeing, right? Success leaves clues. Watch the guys who have the best physiques, you know, starting with yourself and going, well, yeah. why am I not doing that? I think it's because people don't train to actually grow. They train to say they train. Or they train to say that I lift this much, right? So it's like I want the immediate gratification rather than the actual result. Yeah, I mean, you ask yourself, why are you doing this? What's, what's your goal? What's your target? What's, what are you trying to achieve? Yeah, and I was trying to achieve the um, the biggest, best physique that I that I could. And when we're talking about mass monsters, I don't know. It used to irritate me a little bit because yes, I had a great size, probably more than you know. Uh, previous uh, Mister Olympia, even Lee Haney was a big guy, but I took it to another level. It was probably 10, 15 pounds heavier at the same body weight, but I was always really striving to have the best condition as well. So I could have come in and, uh, bigger to the contest as well as, you know, photos prove that were taken earlier, but I wanted to get the condition in as well. So it wasn't just for me about purely about size. It was, that was just one of the factors. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I took to, you know, the next level. Your condition was always so on point. What do you think you did that allowed you show in show out to replicate that whereas now you guys that you know you go to olympia like some some years like all the guys are in great shape some years yeah. everybody's completely off well i mean it's difficult if you look some years maybe a little bit down or a little bit better across my career of course uh there's always some variables but i was always pretty much near to the point and um i was very analytical about things and i had i developed like kind of a um, a system or a format of things that I did by keeping notes all the time. I did this in the off season, even like day to day, every workout, uh, my base diet. And if it went up or down, I'd make a note from that supplementation, anabolics, all these things. Um, and I wouldn't change like a bunch of things at the same time. If I'm going to make one change in my, uh, program in my format I'm going to make a change then we're going to see if that's a positive or negative make a note if it's if it's a negative then that's it I'm done with that that's not of use to me um, but I think I don't know because I don't coach people for the Mr. Olympia I do coach people but generally not uh, a lot of pros I did coach uh, Gabriele Andrulli because he came to train with me for the wheelchair mm -hmm. Mr. Olympia he got second um, uh, that that was fun to work with him, but maybe guys are making too many uh, variables, too many changes at once. And um, you know the the power of the the mind of the thought. Once I went into that mode of wanting to get shredded, I was almost obsessed with it, uh, just almost willing it to happen. And uh, as I said, I man had my a uh, system of doing things that I got down by the time I was like two times Mr. Olympia. And that didn't vary much from, from year to year. So I pretty much knew what was going to happen, when it was going to happen. And I took photos every week, even, you know, before we had the internet and everything, just take like pictures. 
every week, and then I could look back, and that's how I made the huge change from 92 to 93. Everybody wants to know, what did you do from 92 to 93? Did you, you know, just suddenly take huge amounts of growth hormone, or, or what, what was it? It was me going back and analyzing and looking at those pictures going into 92 and saying, hey, look, six weeks out, I'm like 10 or 12 pounds heavier, and I'm coming down every week, two or three pounds, two or three pounds, trying to get more and more shredded. Maybe I got a little bit harder, but not much, and I sacrificed all that size. So, okay, next year, I'm going to learn that lesson, and I'm not going to do that. I probably still overshot a little bit because I'm an overdoer, I'm an overachiever. So I always went over a little bit more than necessary, but better to be a little bit too light than a little bit too heavy. That's the way I looked at it. So what's the diet look like? The diet, uh, you know, sufficient amount of protein. What is that? Um, going for the Olympia, I was probably on like um, around a gram and a half of protein. For a pound of body weight like mostly the typical chicken fish and egg whites or yeah, what i was mostly um chicken turkey a lot of egg whites with a few egg yellows which now i would probably just use the whole eggs because i understand now yeah protein is more complete and fat is not evil like we're still a little bit influenced by the fat then keeping it uh, uh very low um beef yeah, maybe once a day I was having beef, but not not a lot. So it was mainly chicken breast, turkey breast, uh, eggs, egg whites, and uh, protein supplement, which is something I always use. I got into a habit of using that when I was younger because when I first started, I was working, didn't have time sometimes to you know to have chicken breast and so on. So I always kept that in, and it's something people were like, "Oh, how can you get ready for a show with a protein supplement?" Well, I always did, and I just cut it out three or four days before, and that was it, and never affected my conditioning. So I'd have one or two shakes a day, uh, even when I was getting ready for a competition. So that was my protein. Carbs, uh, that was you know that was really the difference between the off-season and getting ready for a competition. The carbohydrates uh, came down. But, you know, slowly, I might start on... Um, you know, maybe going from 800 grams a day in the off-season to 550, 600, and increase the cardio. And then slowly I might chip that down as needed, as I'm observing, as I'm weighing myself, as I'm looking in the mirror. Uh, but, yeah, maybe 400 grams of carb would be the lowest I would go until the last week, and then I would drop down for a few days and load up and so on. You always did your own prep? Yeah, I did my own prep, did my own training, did my own anabolics, did everything. I mean, I would, I would talk to people. I would see their opinions, people I respected. I would read books. I would read magazines. Uh, but in the end, I, I was the one that had to control all that and make the decision yay or nay. And uh, it was me keeping the records. Like, my body was like uh, an experiment. It's keeping all my training logs. It was keeping all... Uh, if I change my frequency or, you know, did more or less, I'd keep a note what's happening. Uh, same with the diet, same with the anabolic supplements, everything. So I got this whole library of feedback that I, that I can look at. Um, so I probably wouldn't be a good student for a coach because I would have always want to, in the end, 
to make that decision and take responsibility for it. I, I couldn't be like, yes, okay, that's what I'll do. I'll be like, why? But when? But why? But uh, you know, so <laughs> I, I laugh because I'm the same. Do you still have your journals? I do, yeah. I still yeah. have them, the old like notebooks and uh you know, it's funny because the first ones from 83, 84, they're a little bit you know, got all these positive affirmation phrases on the front and everything. Uh, maybe a little childish, but, you know, uh, I, I was really looking into that as well, the, the mental side of it. I was reading about that. I was reading about sports psychology and um, positive affirmations and all, all these kind of things I was I was into back then before it was uh, popular. Yeah, so you say you're launching a school online to teach your training methodologies. Would you ever consider including replicas of your journal into that? It's a good idea. Right now I have DY Academy where I'm training people, uh, you know, diet, training plans and so on for the individual. And we're also working on expanding DYHAT, which is my certification program, explaining my my training methods and all the principles behind that. So uh, we're working on that now. And for sure, like, Keeping a journal, keeping a diary uh, is an important part of that process. So we'll, we'll definitely be helping people with that. Probably, you know, a little bit more tech now. You can do stuff online on your phone, on your computer, yeah. where I just had these books that I was kind of scribbling stuff down, and but we might use them as examples, yeah. Very cool. Do you ever get to work with Menser and uh, Arthur Jones? Never met Arthur Jones, read his books, obviously, as it was coming up. Uh, Mike Mensah, I met Mike Mensah at Gold's Gym through Chris Lund, who is a British uh, photographer. And he knew that I was a Mike Mensah fan. And I kind of like, he influenced my training and my thinking a lot. I loved his articles in the magazines because they were very uh, logical. And I kind of think like that. I'm kind of got mathematical brain, you know, uh, everything has to make sense to me. And his training articles made sense. And when I put them into practice, probably more importantly, it, it worked. You know, if I uh, sometimes I started training more frequently or more volume, a bit more like the other guys in the gym, I just stopped growing. It would just come to a halt. Okay. Tried that for a couple of weeks and not get anywhere. Let me cut back. Oh, I'm growing again. So, you know, I was getting the, the feedback from my for my records and everything. Uh, so I met Mike. I'm not sure if I met Mike first in, I think maybe it was 91. I met Mike and we did some training sessions together in 92, 93. And Mike's like, what are you doing? Well, basically I'm, you know, doing a few sets to warm up. Then I'm going to bang and I'm going to failure. And then I'm going to, maybe drop down 10% to the next set and go to failure again. So I'm doing two sets to failure after every, uh, on every exercise after warming up. He said, how about you like cut that back to one set, just cut the volume back a little bit more. And uh, I said, okay, I mean, you know, nothing to lose. I can always go back if it's not working. And uh, I do believe I got a little, little spurt of growth at that point by cutting the volume back. Um, because there was this myth in bodybuilding, I think is a myth. When I started reading the magazines, it was like, um, uh, okay, if you're a beginner, you train three times a week and you do X amount. Then you're intermediate, you train four or five times, you do more. 
If you're advanced bodybuilder, you train six times a week and you do much more. Well, the thing is, you can actually recover more quickly when you're a beginner because you're not able to um, put that much stress on your body. Right. Let's say you're a beginner, just for argument's sake, you can go in and you can squat 100 pounds for 10 reps. Many years later, you're squatting four or 500 pounds. Well, yeah, your muscles have got stronger and bigger, but your nervous system and, and everything that has to recover from all that stress is just the same as in day one. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, as an advanced bodybuilder, you have to be more careful about your uh, recovery. Of course, it may be that when you're a beginner, you weren't taking anabolics, and when you're advanced, you're taking anabolics, and this can really uh, enhance your recovery. So that has to be taken into account. But uh, all things being equal, a beginner can recover more quickly than an advanced bodybuilder. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, when I was a beginner, I was training each body part when maybe once every four or five days. As Mr. Olympia, it was once every six or seven days. So I was training a little bit less frequently as well. Do you think um, all people, including beginners, should be doing the high-intensity method, or do you think it makes more sense for them to, to start with a little more volume, and then as they get better and better and better at every exercise, they actually can do less? A little bit more volume, not hugely, but maybe a little bit more. Because you've got to get that mind-muscle pathway going. And that mm-hmm. takes a little bit uh, of practice. So if I had a beginner, I'd probably get them doing two sets where they're really pushing, trying to go to failure, or as opposed to one that I do with more advanced people. And uh, maybe training a little bit more frequently. Uh, I used to split my body parts into two or three. Over the years, it changed two or three different workouts. And as I was... Uh, pro bodybuilder it was four different workouts so ended up training once a week or once every six days uh, when I was a beginner I was training three times a week or every other day but only split in two or three uh, ways so each body part was getting hit like every four or five days a little bit more frequently so yeah you, you're you not able to really generate so much intensity or force or whatever you want to call it when you're a beginner so you need to learn you need to learn the pathways of the movement, learn to mind-muscle connection. So a little bit more volume, but not as much as people normally recommend, probably. Shift gears and talk a little bit about your, um, your spiritual journey after bodybuilding. So we touched on it a little bit, but uh, I'm curious, was it something that w- was kind of um, stimulated or spurred on by the identity shift that happened when you're leaving bodybuilding? Maybe you're going through a hard time, or what was kind of the catalyst for you getting into meditation, ayahuasca, yoga, et cetera? Um, it took me a long time, man, because, uh, at some point I just wanted to have fun. I just wanted to have fun. That started out with me traveling and, uh, one of my passions all my life, I've been an animal lover. And as Mr. Olympia, I was, um, sponsoring mountain gorillas in Uganda and Rwanda and reading about this and getting all the reports and listening to it. But I was like, I can't take time to go out there. So after I retired, I took a trip out there, which was amazing. I've been a couple of times now. Um, I went on safari in Africa. We went on family holidays, all this kind of stuff. Uh, And then after I got divorced, I wanted to be, you know, Mr. Playboy. So I was doing the party scene and everything for years. And um, I think that's where we first uh, met. Sorry? Yeah, I think I met in Canada, man. I was like, you know. I, if I do something, I tend to do it a little bit to the limit. So, <laughs> you know, 
I was playing all around the world and Chris was one of the guys that introduced me to a lot of that. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, with this came the, the alcohol, recreational drugs and so on. And um, after a while that became like, it was fun at first, but after a while it kind of like my body and my mind was telling me this, you know, you need to stop this stuff. Um, actually, it's a funny story and like, Please, kids, don't do this at home. Okay, so I went to Brazil, and uh, I met Gal, who's my wife now, who's one of the stabilizing factors in my life. She probably came to my life at the right time before you know things went really bad. Probably. Uh, anyway, I went to Brazil, and I met her, and we did some seminar together. And I said, "Hey, uh, you want to come out to the Amazon?" I know this guy on Amazon. I've been there before. He's got a boat and we can go out on the Amazon River and oh, it's great. So, yeah, we decided to do that. But uh, so the guy with the boat, I said to him, hey, can you get this this drink, this thing, this ayahuasca stuff? This was before it was like in the mainstream consciousness. I just heard about it because I spent some time in Amsterdam and I used to spend a lot of time in the bookstores there and I read about it and the string that takes you on a spiritual journey and gives you all these answers. So I said, hey, can you get this stuff? He's like, yeah, I can get it, you know, at a price, obviously. Um, so, okay, so we're going to go on this boat and I'm going to do this ayahuasca on the night when we kind of, you know, moor the boats and stuff like that. That was a plan. But the night before this, I was out drinking and doing lines of coke in the bar and, I mean, I knew nothing about ayahuasca. The guys I was with didn't really know anything about it. Um, so 24 hours later, after drinking alcohol and doing drugs, I'm taking this ayahuasca on the beach. I mean, it just really fucked me up, man. It just made me so sick and so ill. And I, and I just, after that, I was like, fuck this shit. This is no good. But then I remembered, like, what was happening? You're having this experience and you're thrown up and you feel terrible you feel like you're dying and in my head i was like where's my visions where's my you know where's my information all this stuff and i remember i had a voice in my head it was just saying stop poisoning yourself yeah but what no no, no. stop poisoning yourself like repetitively stop poisoning yourself so that was the message then years later uh, I did DMT, I smoked DMT, and I had this amazing experience for 10 minutes where I just left this place and went into the oneness and connectedness of everything. I had all these answers, and I thought, wow, this is this is the stuff, yeah? And ayahuasca, yeah, I don't need that. That's no good. And then uh, I was doing yoga. I started doing yoga because my back was getting a bit tight, and I don't know, something just guided me to yoga. I bought a book about it, started reading about it. I found a teacher. I started doing private lessons of yoga and really enjoying it. Then I was going through a real tough time with the business and I was getting kind of down and depressed and really stressed out from this business situation. And my yoga teacher said, um, hey, uh, I'm going to this ceremony in a couple of weeks, ayahuasca. Maybe you want to come. Maybe it'd be good for you. I'm like, nah, I don't know, man. Like, uh, I did that stuff before and it, yeah, it didn't do much for me. I did DMT. That's much better. And I don't know. I'll let you know. I left it like that. Then I had this friend of mine, a girl that, it's a long story, but she came to me for help, whatever reason. I, I don't know why 
she thought I could help her, but she was agoraphobic. She had trauma in her life. She couldn't leave her house. She said, but I'm coming. I'm going to come with my husband to meet you at this expo if you'll meet me. I said, yeah, sure. I'm you know, happy to meet you, spend some time together. Anyway, that developed into a friendship and, and so on. And she called me one day. She said, I need to talk to you. I had some visions with you, and, and I don't know what it means, but I need to tell you. So, okay. I said, what's going on? She said, I, I was painting. You know, she does art. So she was painting. She said, I was painting, I was painting, and I was painting for hours, and I went into a trance. And I had this vision. And the vision was three little Indian native-looking guys crouched on the floor, and they had like a big tub or something full of liquid and they were stirring it with a stick and they was calling your name like Dorian, Dorian, Dorian. She said, does it mean anything to you? I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? I said, that's ayahuasca. It's definitely ayahuasca. That's how they make it. And I've been invited to an ayahuasca camp next week and I didn't know if I'm going or I'm not going. Um, so she said, oh, you know, <laughs> obviously you've got to go. So, uh, Sorry, I lost my screen. You still see me? Yeah, I still got you. I don't know what's going on with this Zoom. I can't read you, I can't see you. But anyway, so that was uh, a message to me from the ayahuasca, from the plant, I guess. And that's how it works, man. It's something like really unbelievable. Like you can't understand the intelligence of this plant. It was calling me. And... Uh, I, you know, so I went to the camp and I had a great experience and all the stress from this situation uh, literally went away overnight. It was such a positive experience. Um, so that set me on the path. And then later on, the same lady, she had a, another vision and she said, I saw you somewhere in South America doing ayahuasca and you have a film crew with you. I'm like, you know what? I have no idea how that's going to happen or the first one was very helpful, so I just keep that in mind. And then later on, I did go to Costa Rica, had Generation Iron come with me, and they filmed uh, some of the ceremony there. So it, it's, uh, it's it's a crazy intelligence that this plant has. So it wanted me to come there, and because I went there, I brought other people there that needed to be there as well, I believe. That's amazing. So this is a movie people are able, able to watch. You want to tell us where we can watch it? Uh, yeah, it's called uh, First Mass Monster, and uh, I'm not sure where it is now. It's on iTunes and Vimo. Um, there was talk about it being on uh, Netflix, but I'm not sure if that's happening or when it's happening. But it's it's out there. It's been out for about a year now, I think. Amazing, man. And also your DY HIT uh, certification or DY training. You want to tell people where they can find more about that? Uh, we're still working on it. Uh, there's dyhit.com. Uh, you can go there. And uh, if you want to work with me on your, you know, um, your, your training plan and your diet and everything, we got a site up for that. It's called dyacademy.co.uk. So you can go there. Uh, there's different levels of um, assistance you can get. And uh, everything's coming from myself. Like you get your personal program, uh, diet, and depending on what your goals are and so on. And um, you can communicate with me and get advice and so on. So people might want to look there if they're interested in training with me. And uh, we've got a huge variety of people that are on there. Mostly they're not competitive bodybuilders. They're just people that want to improve and lose weight or gain weight. And some guys competing, but the majority are not. So 
whatever the level is, man, I enjoy um, advising people and uh, I hate to see people wasting their energy and wasting their time. That's the worst thing I see in the gyms so much. So um, if you want my help uh, with that, then you can go check, check that out. I think it's so great that you're doing that, buddy, because, you know, the fitness industry seems to be more and more misguided every year. Even though the information gets better, I think there's just more people entering it and, and they think they have an idea what they're doing and they really don't. So people like yourself leading. Oh, yeah, more people entering it. And, the, you know, yeah. the thing is anyone can go on the internet and put something up there and promote themselves. Whereas yeah. before, maybe it was, you know, you had the books, you had the magazines. If you want to get a book published and get your uh, opinions out there you have to have some kind of credibility same thing with the magazines you wouldn't get in there unless you really had some think of value uh, now everybody's out there there's almost too much information and um, people making a, a career out of training other people is sometimes like the blind leading the blind so it really is uh, you know yeah. i've been there done that and uh, uh, my knowledge is comes from 40 years of uh, being in the gym and helping other people and observing and learning and uh, whatever your level are, you know, that's uh, that's useful knowledge that you can tap into and uh, save yourself some time. Yeah, one thing I always say is you don't know how far you can push the system or really how it works until you push it to its limit. You're very much like you did and you can see, hey, this works, this doesn't work. And so many people think they know what they're doing. But until you really push a system and really push a muscle in this case, you have no idea what you're capable of, what's going to break, and ultimately how to adjust it to make it work more effectively. Exactly. So, uh, you know, um, I didn't have a coach for Mr. Olympia, but uh, I'm coaching other people now and uh, helping them achieve their goals, which is nice, man. It's nice to see people um, changing their – it always changes somebody's life, you know, if they get into shape, they feel like a different person. Yeah, the body is this beautiful path to changing everything, right? It can be like this catalyst. If you take control of this one thing in your life and you develop discipline, you can start applying it to everything else in your life. So yeah, I mean, it, it spills over into everything, right? If yeah. you, you know, you 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 get this system, you get the discipline, you get a plan, and you, I mean, you can see things changing in front of you in the front of the mirror, and it's exciting, and that spurs you on to do more and more, and all that kind of discipline and, and planning and everything, you can you can apply that to to other things in your life. I also don't want to forget to mention DY Nutrition, which is your amazing supplement line that you're still uh, promoting. Yeah, sorry about it. I get so many requests from the US that uh, we're not in the US yet. We hope to be there. We hope to be there this year, but the whole thing with the pandemic and the lockdown and everything kind of set our plans back. So we're um, solidifying things in Europe where we are and Middle East. And we'll be in uh, Canada and, and US uh, hopefully next year. So everyone that's been messaging me from the States, thanks for that. Thanks for your interest. And we are, we are working on it. But in Europe and uh, and Middle East, we're, we're going strong there. We have uh, two, two lines now. We have the shadow line, which is um, more hardcore, maybe more bodybuilding. And we have a renew line, which is, which is great, more kind of mainstream and Kind of some of the stuff that I'm taking now for my general well-being and health uh, yeah. as well. Aaron, you inspired millions and millions of people during your career, buddy, and you're doing it even more now that you're transitioning and perpetuating this healthy uh, spiritual life. And so thank you for what you do, truthfully. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on, Ben. And, uh, you know, interesting for me to watch your journey as well. And 
hopefully we're going to meet up and do something together on the, on that in the future. That's that's what I feel, you know. I'd love to, man. Let's make it happen. Destiny will sort that out. Absolutely. Thanks, buddy. All right, brother. Everybody, that's a wrap. Thanks so much for tuning this podcast with Dorian Yates. Again, so much value, so much insight. This guy has transitioned out of being the best bodybuilder on the entire planet for many years. Some people call him the greatest of all time. And I think he's got so much value to share with you, me, and the entire world. And if you're someone who is struggling to transform your body, whether it be to build muscle or lose fat, or ultimately just live your greatest life, head over to muscleintelligence.com slash masterclass. Register right now for my webinar. And we're going to walk you through this amazing framework and process that I've created to help you overcome all your transformation limitations. Um, thank you so much to bubsnaturals.com for being the sponsor of today's show, bubsnaturals.com slash Ben for amazing, amazing MCT collagen and their new Fountain of Youth product, which is fantastic. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you being here. As always, I don't take your time lightly, so I really appreciate you being here. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes and subscribe. As always, much love. Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.